Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your amazing gift to us in your Son, who humbled himself. Though he was God, he humbled himself to become a servant as a man. And when he gave his life up, you exalted him above every other name on the face of this earth. And we thank you for the miracle of when we admit who we are, that all that we have comes from you, that we have blown the blueprint, and we come to you. You do lift us up, and you lift us beyond where we could ever take ourselves. And I pray this morning that we would hear from you, and not just hear, but do what you tell us to do. And Father, use us, use our lives, use this church, Use our influence for you, for good, for eternal change. Thank you for each one here this morning. I pray you'd fill me now with your spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning. I appreciate Jen talking about next Sunday as we meet together to pray. And uh, what encourages me is that when we pray, God acts. And I don't understand how it all works, but he sometimes waits until we do. He can do anything he wants anytime, but we get to flip the switch. We get to pull the trigger on God going to work when we seek him in prayer. And that's a very exciting thing. And so I want to encourage you to come. Uh, right after we'll have some little finger food so you won't get too hungry. It's fasting and prayer. Um, that was a joke. It's okay. <laughs> you can laugh here. It's all right. Um, but we will have some little, and something to take care of the kiddos for a while. Uh, most people say it's the fastest 45 minutes to an hour they ever spend because we pray rather than just talk about prayer. And it's, it's wonderful. So bring somebody and join us. And speaking of prayer, uh, Dave uh, Enthol, Dave's one of our elders, uh, prayed with me this morning before the service. We pray. And we were just talking about as we pray for the pastor, we encourage you to be praying for God's choice for the pastor. God's at work. In fact, he says, you know, I'm running to people who are praying for this church for the pastor God's going to bring. So that's great. People outside are praying for us, so let's continue to pray ourselves and, and see what God does. That'll be special. Uh, some of you asked, where's Patricia today? Well, she'll be flying back from San Francisco this afternoon. And uh, she's speaking again. I can hardly keep up with her schedule. But uh, she spoke to a group about, a women's luncheon of about 200 women yesterday in the, in the Bay Area, overlooking the water. She said it was beautiful, it was fun. And um, they saw many commitments to Christ. About 45% of the women or so were there who were, were pre-Christians. They didn't know Jesus. And this, this church is not all that large, but they do this great thing every year. And uh, she loves speaking, that kind of thing. And they had a real ball. So she's, she's having fun, and I don't have to batch it anymore when she comes home uh, this weekend. Well, a question for you this morning is this. When your phone calls, who do you answer for? I mean, you know, uh, I don't know about you, but I screen everything. Kind of have to and, and um, kind of work out of our own home. And half time I don't hear it, I keep it on buzz. So it buzzes all day and then I pick it up later. So if you call me, please, there's nothing personal. It's just I, I didn't hear the buzz. But, you know, there are certain people that have highest priority. And the ultimate highest, other than my wife, are the grandkids. They have access to the inner circle. President can call, he can wait. When the grandkids call, man, grandpa's all over it. Who do you answer for no matter what if you know they're calling? We all have some, right? We've all got our top priorities. And uh, if it's not the person you're sitting next to, don't tell them that. Okay, we do marital counseling at another time, but don't, don't tell them that. But I'm sure you have some. You know, maybe it's the boss, the kids, the grandkids, but we answer. Um, but there's another question for us today is that how do we answer when God calls? Do we answer? How do we know it's even him ringing? <laughs> we want to talk about that this morning and look at some amazing discoveries in the life of an amazing young man who has a whole book in Scripture dedicated to him uh, in his life. And here's a question as well when we talk about how do we know that God even calls us? 
how do you know God calls you and who does he call? I'd like you to read with me the very first verse in your outline. So if you'll take that out, if you're new to the church, there's, it's right there. The scripture is written out. And uh, let's read this together and see if it uh, connects. Join me, would you please? And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. You know who he's talking about? If Jesus lives in your life, if you're a follower of Christ, he's talking about you. See, over the years we've heard some things about call. We think of calls are for people like missionaries and pastors. And you've got to have, you know, you have some kind of vision in the night or whatever. Or God says, Sam, Sue, you know, go to Africa. And you say, God, can we go somewhere else? But, you know, so we have these ideas, but God is calling. And uh, it says he calls us where? He calls us to him first. So the most important part of understanding your call in this life is that God calls you to his son, Jesus Christ, to a person. Then he says, follow me. And then it's maybe a place or a task or whatever. But the major part of the call is that we're called to a person. That helps me greatly. I'm called not only to follow him, to become like him. And he wants to come and plant himself in my heart. And not only give me forgiveness, but a whole new life. And then he begins to, not only has he called us, but then he starts speaking. And let me ask you this question. How many ways does God speak to us? I've had people say, God never talks to me. And I said, oh, you missed it. He talks all the time. How does God speak? Well, look at this one. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. That's who Jesus is. He's the creator of you and me in this whole universe. And God speaks through His Son. People say, God never spoke to me. Well, look at Jesus. Look at the scriptures. <laughs> He's speaking all the time. The Bible also tells us that God speaks every day. All around the world, God leaves His signature. Did you know that? It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. He's declaring himself in many ways all the time. God speaks in many other ways. How does he speak to you? One of the things I've had to learn over the years, God was talking to me, and I just didn't get it. You know, the famous joke about the guy who there was, the floodwaters were rising, and he was on top of his house, and a boat comes by, says, hey, I'll rescue you. He says, no, God's going to rescue me. And the next thing you know, another boat comes by. You know that one, then a helicopter. And then he, he drowns, you know, he gets to heaven. God, how come you didn't come after me? And God says, well, it seems to me I sent two boats and a helicopter. Yeah. He just couldn't recognize it. So how do we recognize, how do we know when God is speaking to us? So if you'll take out your blue sheet, it says 12 Revelation Methods. And uh, in our men's summit on Friday, we're having a grand time with guys, and we're teaching them to write a life message, life purpose, and all those things, and that's going to be coming up here. Uh, it's really a special time, but one of the, one of the pages is in this, just like last week, I gave you another one. This is, I think, from page 119. It's worth the whole book. Is how God, 12 common ways people experience hearing a call from God. Now, as we go through these, I want you to circle the ones that you can connect with. Maybe you're unaware of the fact that God is speaking in these ways. And, uh, what we, and this, isn't the, this isn't all, but these are ways that God does call and speak to us. So see what you can identify with. How about drawing to a need? It says, I see a person, a group, or need. My heart is drawn to serve. And through that, feel a larger sense of calling to meet those needs. You know, long term. Moses was called to rescue his people. Maybe you see a need. I remember when I was a youth pastor in Newport Beach. I saw a need for somebody to reach the Porsche drivers of Newport Beach. That was also a joke, folks, but <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's early. It's, well, it's almost lunch. I mean, I guess I understand that, too. And I went to the elders, and I said, I think somebody needs to Porsche, reach the Porsche drivers in Newport Beach. And they said, I'm sure someone does. And they said, I don't know how you're going to catch him with your uh, <clears throat> little Fiat. So anyhow, how about personal suffering? My call grows out of personal experience of suffering and what is uh, birthed in my heart through it. Now, we've talked about this many times. The pain in our life, we talked about it last week, pain or preparation. We don't want it. And yet God says, through that pain, it's inevitable. You will experience pain on this earth somewhere, sometime. 
And God is saying through that, my call, some of you here have lost a child. Or maybe you lost, I talked to someone this morning, just lost a job. Or you've, or you've experienced uh, health issues. Or maybe you were raised in an alcoholic home. And uh, maybe you have autistic children. Whatever it is, God doesn't waste those calls. He's saying, I'm speaking. I can use you there. How about this one? Personal success seems to be the flip side. God speaks to me through my successes or overcoming something with a realization of what I can do on behalf of others. David took out Goliath. We mentioned that last week. You see, even our successes are ways that God speaks to us. The problem is we too often take credit for them. You know, I'm pretty good. As Chad was speaking about humility, um, I teased him and I said in the first service too that actually uh, I don't see how humility should ever be a problem for any of us. Think about it. <laughs> we all blow it big time. <laughs> We're all limited in our abilities, and God's great. So you know, one easy way to, 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 you know, for humility to come, but I agree with what he said. We think about ourselves all the time. But personal success, your success, maybe it's in business, maybe it's in your profession, maybe it's you've raised a great family, all those things God is speaking to say, hey, I want to talk to you through that. Who helped you do it? And I want you to bless others. So even through success. Here's another one. Demonstrating of gifting. It's often recognized by others in uh, unusual or early manifestations of gifting or ability. Joseph had the ability to interpret dreams as, as a young man, as a teenager. I remember uh, when I was young, I, I learned early on I could make people laugh. Somebody said, well, what happened since then? Okay, uh, another one, childhood dreams. God implants significant insights about the future in the hearts of children. Samuel, who anointed David. Remember the story of Samuel and how he's, his mother Hannah dedicates him and he goes and lives with Eli, the priest. And in the middle of the night, there's this voice. And it says, Samuel, Samuel. He runs and Eli wakes him up and says, yeah, do you call me? He said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Comes back a second time. He hears this voice. Samuel, Samuel goes, wakes up Eli and he says, I didn't call you. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. The old priest woke up. He says, if you hear that voice again, say, Lord, here I am. Your servant is here. Speak to me. Because he recognized God was calling him. And what's interesting about that, these childhood dreams, is that Samuel had to learn to listen to discover the voice of God. Now, if that's one of the greatest prophets in all of Israel, how about even more you and I need to learn to discern the voice of God? He's speaking many ways all the time. Do we recognize it? Do we even know it's God? Or we just keep on going. I will tell you this, your culture won't help you. The culture is not going to help you discern the voice of God. But God wants it. Here's another one. Holy discontent. I can't stand something that's going on. And in the process of working against that injustice, I discover my calling. For Nehemiah, it was knowing that the walls were broken down in his hometown. I was at a board meeting for Y Africa on Friday and yesterday and Friday. Um, in, in Orange County. And one of the guys who was there, is that we were sharing a little bit about Cambodia, where we're going, and I'll get to that in a moment. We talked about it's one of the centers in the world of, of the sex slave trade. You realize there's more slaves now than any time in all of history? 27 million of them in the world right now. And he said, just hearing that does something to me. And you know, well, if it really does enough, it'll move him to act on. And there are people who are doing it. There's some wonderful people who are working in this area. It's a, it's a holy discontent. Here's another one. This is unusual to us in, in the Western individualistic society. It says inheritance or community. My call comes through being part of my family, tribe, or community and embracing that group's sense of collective call. In the, in the West, sometimes the best way we can recognize that if you're in a family-owned business and, and God has used that, uh, you're working through, but Isaac, Jacob, or Ruth. By the way, Jacob's name became what? Jacob, which means schemer, deceiver. Jake the snake became what? Israel, prince. Yeah, God renamed him. And then all that followed. Um, affirmation or confirmation. God uses others to name, confirm, or prophetically reveal my calling to me. David was anointed, called by Samuel. God sent him. My wife has shared with you before that when she was little, her mother before she was born prayed for a musical daughter who would serve God. And some of you don't even know about her musical accomplishments because she speaks all over the place. But she did some, I've shared that before, some pretty amazing things. And 
with all the, the great production she put on over the years, and thousands of people came, and, and, but that was a result of a mom praying, and then feeding that to her as well as she grew up. Scripture, God reveals my call through a scripture that is brought to life for me. Now, obviously the major way God speaks to all of us today is through the scripture. People keep telling you, God told me this and God told me that, and it doesn't sound like scripture. Guess what? It's not God. And there are plenty of those out there. You know, they've got, they're just a few sandwiches short of a, you know, of, of a full picnic. And they, uh, they, they'll tell you these things, so be wary of that. But God speaks primarily today, yes, through his son and through scripture. And this is the story of Josiah, the young king. And the Bible had been hidden from the people. And they found the scroll. And when he opened it up and he began to read it, it says he tore his clothes. He repented in sackcloth and ashes. And he says, we have walked away from God. We must come back to him. And uh, so his whole life was shaped by the scriptures. And then circumstances. Now, many people, if you ask him, do you believe God can speak to the circumstances? We say, yes, I believe that. However, it's very difficult to recognize which ones are from him? We like the positive ones. Hey, he's got a promotion, you know. Uh, your Aunt Susie just left you five million bucks. That's great, God. Thank you very much. But when we hit the other kinds of circumstances, it's harder. How about this one? I find myself in a place of destiny where circumstances force me to respond. Queen Esther, she had no other options. Help your people or die. That was sort of the choice there. And this morning we're looking at another one. And then direct revelation. God speaks directly through an inner witness, dreams, visions, or supernatural means. Paul had his vision on the road to Damascus. Mary, the angel appears to Mary and speaks to her and says, you're going to have a son. His name is Yesu, uh, Jesus. And I've had people say, well, you know, God never talks to me that way. But actually he does, and we don't recognize it. For example, how many here believe Satan can plant thoughts in your mind? How many believe God can plant thoughts in your mind? Because if we don't, we say Satan has more power than God. But most people do not know how to recognize when God plants a thought. Because we don't teach that in our churches. I'm amazed over the years. I had to learn it the hard way. Now with me, I'm a slow learner. God will say things two or three different ways, and he'll use circumstances and people. I finally get it on the third or fourth time. I have a bunch of, been close to many, many charismatic pastors, guys I've known for years, good buddies, and we tease. They say, God told me. And I said, you know, I had this thought. Yeah, they'll say God spoke to me. If you really chase it down, what you're hearing, there were thoughts they responded to. Does every thought I have come from God? Absolutely not. Do some of them come from God? There are thoughts when I've prayed, and I'm, I know it didn't come from me. And so I believe it's the Holy Spirit unless it contradicts the Scripture. And that's a whole other discussion. Maybe we can talk some more about that sometime. Then there's progressive revelation. God uses many events, circumstances, and insights to progressively unfold my call over a period of years. Abraham, God says, Abraham, I want you to, to, to pick up and leave. He says, great, God, where are we going? He said, I didn't say, just pack up and start moving. What? He says, when you get there, I'll tell you. And then as soon as they got there, he said, move again and do all these things. And over a period of years, God kept revealing himself to Abraham. And progressive revelation, he also does that in our lives. He says, move into this area. You do it for a while, and all of a sudden, God shows you another area. And maybe years later, decades later, he keeps moving you through progressive revelation. Actually, the Bible was written as progressive revelation. You have the first books written and others, and so God kept revealing more and more about himself to us. Well, this morning we're going to ask a question. As God's calling us, well, what do you do? And uh, for simply this, how do we respond to the call? And what if our response predicts our future? You see, sometimes people say, well, God never talks to me. I don't hear any thoughts. Now, folks, it's true. The reason we don't hear them sometimes is we don't follow them. If I don't obey, if I don't listen, or I don't change what God tells me to change, he's not going to keep speaking. Why should he? How many, how many like telling your kids 57 times? Now, pick up your socks. Uh, let's see, this is 58. Pick, pick up your socks. You know, eventually you just say, well, that's a whole other thing about parenting. But if, God, if God's speaking to me and I don't respond, I'm not going to hear much. So sometimes we don't hear because of our own disobedience or our selective hearing. We only do what we want to hear. But he wants to speak, and he will. And to those who listen, their whole life changes. So how do, what if our response predicts our future? And here's the question of the morning. What if God calls you on a journey you didn't choose to take? What do we do? Does that happen to any of us? How many here chose where you were born? How many chose the parents that birthed you? 
I mean, when you begin to think about, how about, how about the era? Have you ever thought of this? Why weren't you born in the Middle Ages? That even sounds silly, doesn't it? Did we have anything to do with that? I don't think so. I'm glad to know God's my maker. Somehow he planted me here for this time. Same with you. That's why we're here today. Why weren't you born in Ethiopia? There's a famine there right now. We've been invited to go and train there in April. Why weren't you born in Cambodia? That's where we're going a week from Monday. Cambodia is one of the poorest countries on earth, one of the most corrupt. People who do these kinds of studies said in terms of human justice, humanitarianism, they rank 151 out of the 165 nations studied. That's not even all the nations. They're pretty low down there. Okay. What if you had been born in a place like that? By the way, people ask, are you excited to go? I need to talk again to the first service uh, when they come back next week. But my answer is yes and no. We're excited because there's going to be about 900 to 1,000 of the most passionate, young, vibrant leaders, men and women, in the world. And I mean, they, just, they light you up being there. You know, maybe we can help them, but they sure help us. See, 30%... Excuse me, 70% of Cambodians are under 30. I shared that because all their parents are dead, right? Pol Pot wiped them out. And their goal is to retake their nation. I just want to be around that. But on the other hand, I love those 40, 48-hour plane flights. And, you know, and then this time we get to go out and do two conferences in the provinces in rather rustic conditions. And that is just so much fun, folks. You know, you're not sure what you're going to sleep on. I mean, they're, they're, they're little hotel-y kinds of things, and you introduce yourself to the bed bugs. And speaking of bugs, how many here have heard of superbugs? I'm not kidding on this one. How many have heard of it? Yeah, there are these bugs that have developed, and, and these are uh, everything from diseases to bacteria that have diseased, developed uh, anti-antibiotic resistance. And there's, you know, Bill Gates is pouring billions into this because he's afraid of the pandemic in the whole world. It's out there. So... Uh, do I look forward to those things? Well, kind of like going to the dentist, you know. But I will tell you this, being able to help them and then coming back and by the grace of God share that with you and others, yeah, it's great. Do I really want to go? Don't tell anybody. No. <laughs> but we're excited to go and help and when we come back. So that's a little bit there. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible, to take a look at this young man who God called on a journey he didn't choose. Turn to Daniel chapter 1. This would be pretty cool to have a whole book named after you in the Bible. In order for that to happen, you have to be a fairly remarkable person. But we'll see what made him remarkable. In chapter 1, we hear the story of that uh, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, they, Israel... Judah, I should say, was taken into captivity. God had been warning the nation for decades, if you continue to ignore me and worship your idols and ignore what I tell you, there's going to come, the hammer's going to fall. And they didn't believe him. Oh, God, that's not going to happen. That happens other places, not here. And uh, so they continued. By the way, what nations do you know of that have idols today? Can you name any? Which ones? The United States of America probably has as many as I've ever been. Because we worship success and we worship looks and our comfort and our ease and uh, all those things. You know, India has 300 million gods. We're not too far behind them. We just don't recognize it because no culture recognizes their own idols until God removes the cataracts for them to see it. So anyhow, they, they, they ignore God and now they find themselves in Babylon. Guess what? They've got even more idols in Babylon. God says, you want idols? I'll give them to you. And so off they go. And Daniel is one of the young men. If you begin to look here at verse 4, it says, um, it says, so the king ordered Aphanaz, King Nebuchadnezzar, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only the strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Stop. That means total brainwashing of everything they are. We're going to immerse them in this new culture. 
The king assigned them a daily uh, ration of food and wine from the king's training table. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. And the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. And who are the other three? Meshach, Yershach, and a bungalow, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you know the story. You've heard of that before. But these young men come in. They have grown up in the royal family in Israel. They are come in. They're privileged kids. They have a privileged lifestyle. Maybe they were born with a silver spoon. Last week we saw David was kind of was raised in a gray collar situation. He was a warrior. He lived out in the hills. He was a shepherd. And um, so they're brought into the royal palace. Now kings in those days, when they conquered you, the ones who were left living, he kept the ones who could serve them. And they became chief advisors and all kinds of, uh, like a, a, a brain, um, or whatever, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyhow, he brought them into his, his own advisory uh, council. And so they picked the select. So these were privileged young men. On the other hand, they were brought in their teenage years never to leave Babylon again. They would spend the rest of their lives in captivity, working in a palace. Anybody here willing to trade the U.S. to live the rest of your life in, let's say, Russia? How about China? Fairly advanced. This is what they're facing. Now, because of their privileges, they were the elite. They're brought into the king's service. But notice something. I think what this is saying to us is this. First of all, God uses your background to open doors of opportunity. How would we respond to being taken to places we didn't want to go? But God will use your background to open doors. I thought about that myself. What's your background? I'm a kid born in Indiana. Used to dream of California. I did. Time I was little. What's your life goal? I don't know. I just want to go to California. And ended up God brought me out here. He had a lot more than that. But... But with those privileges that they had temporarily, there are responsibilities that go along with the privileges. And what was that? Did you notice what they were called to do? They were put in some rather demanding, challenging academic situations and environment. They were supposed to learn all this new literature. They were supposed to learn new language. And they had three years to learn all of this, the ways of Babylon and their arts and their science and a lot of different things. And so it was... It was demanding. It was like someone, um, you know, from rural America taking on a Ph.D. in a brand new area. So Daniel is, comes from a background where he has these kinds of capacities. God uses that. David was a warrior king, a musician. Daniel was raised in a little bit in academia. And, you know, today we would call that, you know, a nerdville. It really doesn't matter because whatever your background, highly educated to not so much, God uses that to open doors. And with those, believe it or not, privileges come responsibilities. And we're going to see what that means here in just a moment. And so here Daniel and his buddies have this pressure to produce, to perform. Anybody here have any pressures on them to produce or perform? Uh-huh. Sure you do. Sure we do. But the interesting thing is, is that there's something else. How many here are privileged? Would you please put up your hand for me? Thank you. You're wise. We live in the U.S. of A. We're privileged. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, you're privileged. Yeah. And the Bible says to those of us who are privileged, what does it say? Didn't Jesus say, to whom much is given, much is required? We say, well, what are my privileges? Well, we live here. We have education, health. We have wealth. And God says, I want you to use that in your opportunities and your privileges for the benefit of others. We go over this frequently. But it's just all over the Bible, all the time. That's why we keep going over. God's trying to communicate something. He gave us privileges what? Not just for us, but to bless our world. And here's another example of it. Even though right now it doesn't look like there's much for them to bless. And it says that we're also accountable to share our privileges, resources, with the world around us who needs it so desperately. Now here's the key. God is looking for those who respond to him even in and particularly in lousy situations. If today you found yourself in a job you don't want or you're having some personal challenges, it really doesn't matter what it is. God says, I want to talk to you. 
I want to use your life right where you are in whatever situation you find yourself. They were elite, but they were elite slaves now. Had to be at the beck and call of kings and those over them. But along the way, something else happens. In your privileges, their responsibilities, but something else happens to these young men. It will happen to you and me. Your integrity will be tested. If there are privileges in your life, and there are, your integrity is going to be, how many here have had your integrity uh, tested recently? Well, it should be every week if we're living for Jesus. It'll be tested all the time. And we have to talk about what does that mean, integrity. Notice what it says, that they had been, if you notice it goes on, they were given the Babylonian names, and they were uh, invited to eat at the, the king's training table. And that doesn't seem to be much, because, but uh, why did they give them Babylonian names? We've already alluded to it, to indoctrinate them. They pulled them out of one culture. You will now become a Babylonian. I'm going to give you a Babylonian name. Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Babylonian names. And they're all named for Babylonian gods. Did you know that? Our gods are superior to yours. We're giving you those names. They said, okay, you can rename me. Well, what's interesting, they object to something. And it says that Daniel, in verse 8, was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. But what's that about? I mean, why is this such a big deal anyhow? They're named after Babylonian gods. They said, okay, you can rename me. But they refused to eat the king's food. And fast forward on this, some people say, well, you know, the Levitical law wouldn't allow them to eat you know, pork slider sandwiches, right? And they couldn't have ham and cheese, and there wouldn't be you know, bacon and, cheese, bacon and sausage omelets. Couldn't do that. Well, that could be part of it. The other part, though, that doesn't make as much sense, it says they didn't even drink the king's wine. Well, the Old Testament didn't say you couldn't drink wine. The Levitical law didn't say that because they had no refrigeration. If you have grapes, guess what? They'll become wine. <laughs> Just give them a little time. And it talked about in moderation, but it didn't say that was forbidden, so there's a little bit of mystery. Why would they refuse to eat this? And maybe... They say, well, the food was offered to the Babylonian gods, to idols. It probably was. Maybe it was a combination of all these things, or maybe it was something larger. That they saw this as a temptation to give in to the culture's ways. Nobody was there. They could have said, hey, nobody's watching. Who cares? Not that big a deal. Kind of a little, you know, what you eat. Just because the law said you couldn't eat this. It's a bigger picture. What makes sense in the fact they're saying... You can indoctrinate me, but I will not give in to the temptations of the culture. And folks, you and I face that every day. One of the things that bothers me about our younger generations, kids watch stuff that would have made a sailor blush two decades ago. They hear stuff. Some of my times, hey, Dad, you want to go to the movie? And I say, you know what? I don't really want to pay to have somebody cuss me out tonight. Well, yeah, but it's just a little bad language, just a little bit of this and that, a little nudity. It's just like we're, 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 we're just oblivious to it. I don't go to those things because I'm so wonderfully strong. I'm too weak. How about you? If I give in to those things, I give in to other things. Our culture has, we've been so enculturated, even as believers. That's why there's not much difference between us and what goes on in the rest of the world. <laughs> you know, divorce rates are about the same as those who are on the inside, and people you know, compromise on their tax. The average American gives less than 2% of their income to charity. You know what the church gives? Two and a half percent. We're not much different than the culture unless God steps in. And what they were saying is, look, these are young kids. These are teenagers. And somehow they recognize we can't give in to this because they, they also know there's going to be much more, much more ahead. And they weren't going to fall for the uh, culture's temptations and many more would come. The other thing was significant appears they did this early on in their lives. Young, they had just gotten there. This is the first thing that comes up, and they say, well, you know what? We're not sure we can do this. And what's important about that is, when is it easier to say no? After things go on, a little bit here, a little bit here, time after time after time, or early on? Much smarter, if you're just starting a new job, to let it be known and make sure your life follows it up, that you're a follower of Jesus. You go to a new school, you go to college, why do so many kids get burned out? They've walked with Christ in high school, and... They don't take a stand for him because they're afraid of what might happen, what might be said about them. I remember going to boot camp in uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And, and actually, I'd been sick the year before. My class had graduated, and I had been married by this time. 
And uh, so got in there, and right away, I mean, you know, guys would, as soon as they got there, they said, I've never drank this much in my life. I've never cussed this much. I won't tell you what else they were doing that much in their whole life. And I said, hey, man, you know, I'd even say, I'd pray for you. Didn't do it, you know, I just, I remember one night, uh, my bunkmate and I were starting to talk, and he wanted to know what it was like to be married and some other things, and I just started laughing and talk about God's perspective on marriage. Then I looked up, and there were like 15 guys sitting around the bed, just listening to us. I didn't have to try to preach or anything. It wasn't that I was so great. There's a lot of things I shudder thinking I did in those days. But it was amazing, just somehow taking that little stand. As far as I know, he's the only guy in the whole company who knew Christ. But before we were done, it was a six-week boot camp, I had an opportunity probably to talk to 50 of those guys individually about Christ, different times. And it wasn't like I went on my way to do it. Just God gave some opportunities. Take a stand early on. That's what they did. And here's the other thing that's amazing when we're going to take a look at them. Is, is there any risk in this? Well, of course there's a risk. But what's the greater risk of not taking a stand? That's the greater risk. We give in. The pressure that's there. It's much easier to take a stand early on than to not take one. Then number three. What happens is that when God calls you on a journey you don't want to choose, if you respond... He begins to do these amazing things. But the third thing is this. Your choices will reveal your, your convictions. Daniel said, hey, we're not going to do this, guys. And his buddies agreed. Daniel and his three amigos, the three musketeers, said, we're not going to do this. Be sure your values and convictions are going to be tested when you make a choice. Or the to choice tests your convictions. By the way, what's the difference between a value and a conviction? We've talked about it before. I can say, you know, I really value time with my family. But guess what? If I don't spend any time with them, it's not a value. I've said it. I haven't done much. The difference between a conviction and a value is on a conviction, I'll sacrifice to make it happen. I'll get up early. I'll stay up late. I'll do something if that family's a priority. I'll make an attempt to get there for whatever else it is. Same if I say my value is God first. I will do something at the point of sacrifice to me in order to spend time with him. And that's what they're doing. Now, they have no idea how it's going to turn out. They simply make this choice, and we're going to see in a moment uh, how they did it. But they have no idea that what's going to happen in their future. You see, they haven't read the rest of the book yet. They're only in chapter 1. So they don't know how this thing's going to turn out, right? So we're going to see what happens. And their only motive, as far as we know at this point, is simply to take a stand for God. You see? And even though it could make life more difficult for them. I think they understood that intuitively. If they don't eat this stuff, and, and it could be, be a problem. But what if they had given in here at this point to say, uh, hey, you know, it's not that big a deal? What if they had said, you know, God, just a little bit of food here. Why, let, let, you know, they named us the one thing. Why don't we just go ahead and do it? If they had given in at this point, and this is what, again, often can pass right past this, you wouldn't have heard about that. This book would not have been in the Bible. God is stating something here. This seemingly insignificant conviction is I'm not giving in to this first temptation that might violate the law of God and open the door to other things. If they had not done this, you wouldn't be reading about these young men. And so this is a very significant situation. So our choices do reveal our convictions. And then secondly... We see that living by convictions expands your life and your influence. Anybody here like to have more possibilities in your life than you have right now? Whatever kind you want. Me too. Well, here we're going to see from their life amazing possibilities that open up because of apparently some simple choices that involve God's first, everything else is going to follow underneath that. What do we mean by that? Well, let's take a look. Beginning at verse... Nine, they make this choice. It says, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Notice the sequence. They get support. They get support in their life. This amazing series of events. They are in a foreign country. They're subject to these foreign uh, government and administration. They don't really know anybody. And God sends them support in the chief of staff who directly reports to the king. That's pretty sweet. Anybody here need a favor occasionally? And what you do, God says, trust me, take a stand, and watch what God does. That's what this the whole principle is here, if you need any favors. They're outnumbered. 
and yet they have God on their side. Number two, they're given something out in verses 8 to 12. They're given the courage then to act on their beliefs. And if you begin to look at this, he says, but, but when the, the, the uh, chief of staff responded, he says, I'm afraid if I let you guys do this, my lord the king has ordered me for you to eat this food and wine. If you become pale or thin compared to the other guys, I'm afraid the king's going to behead me. I'm not going to lose my head over this thing. So, yeah, there was some concern. So, at the first, his initial response was, this doesn't look real good, guys. Like, you have an option to do what you want to do here. It's what you're going to eat. He says, if I'm going to lose my head, I'm not about to give in to this, is what he's saying. And so, yet Daniel has the courage to ask to begin with. Question for us is this. What are, do you know you need to step into? What choices that require courage that require you to act upon it now before you know the outcome, there will always be those in your life. Risk steps of faith, moral questions, God will always put those. Third thing that happens though, because of this courage, notice something else happens. Creativity grows. So it says, Daniel spoke, verse 11, with the attendant had been appointed by the chief of staff to look out for them. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel said, at the end of 10 days, we'll see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's training table. Then make your decision. Well, that sounds pretty neat, doesn't it? Where does he get that idea? It could have come out of his own head, out of his own mind, a young man, creative, pretty wise for a teenager to come up with that. But you know what? I think he had help. Because <laughs> I think once you make decisions to do what God wants, God sends you creative powers and thought. You ever prayed over something, God, I don't know what to do next, and all of a sudden these thoughts start popping in your mind? Where's that come from? Is that just because we're such geniuses? Maybe. God's created humans with great capacities that we're not using. But the other part of that is God himself can expand your capacities when we do what he wants us to do. Now, the reason I believe that this was inspired for God is that what he's saying isn't really logical. If you eat water and vegetables... For, for 10 days, how many here are going to look healthier than all, everybody else around you? You might look thinner. I don't think you're going to look any healthier. I could eat for 30 days those things. I would be thinner. I wouldn't necessarily look healthier. Cause, so Daniel is putting them to a test knowing that this is going to require something from God in order to make this happen. And so God gives him a creative alternative when it looked a little bit bleak for these four teenagers. So here's the question. How creative is God in your life? And to help you follow him and not compromise. When you need the creativity of God is when you reach dead ends. There are no alternatives or you're going to have to compromise morally. You need God to step in. And that's what they discover. See, somebody said, you'll never know God is all you need until God is all you have. And he never fails. He still does his best work in graveyards, right? And notice what's next. Not only does, does their uh, choice help them by expanding their creativity, something else happens now. It actually expands their capacities or their abilities. Look at verses 15 to 17. It says, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his buddies look healthier and better nourished than the other young men who had been eating at the king's training table. So after that, the attendant fed them only the vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for others. Then look at this. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for what? For understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. That means all the ways of the Babylonians. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When did that happen? When did those abilities and that aptitude come to them? They were already sharp and bright. It appears this comes after they've made their decision. Then God gives them increased capacity. Folks, we can pass right over these kinds of things. Sometimes we limit ourselves, we limit our future, all the things God wants to do, because a little compromise here, a little bit here, just like everybody else. And he's looking for somebody he can promote. Remember last week we looked at the verse, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he might strongly support those whose heart is completely his. God is looking for people he can promote all the time. If we'll listen. If we'll follow and do things we don't really want to do, that don't make sense to us. But he says do it. That's what you have right here. And so they're ex expanded. And Daniel gets this ability to interpret dreams, which will come in pretty handy, as we'll see in a moment. Now, the reason that's important, and we're gonna, you already know the king's going to have dreams. But in those cultures, that same as Joseph, 
they believed, the ancient cultures, that, that, that thoughts, um, they thought it was to, these dreams were to be shadows of future events. That if you had a dream, something was going to happen. And by the way, that is not entirely untrue. There's some truth in that even today. I'm not saying every dream you have predicts the future. Maybe you just had too much pizza last night and the anchovies weren't any good. So I don't mean to say that, but there is still some of this. And so the kings also, if a king had a, a, a dream, it could shape the entire future of that nation and centuries to follow, which has happens dreams all over the place in this book. He predicts the next four empires of the world. We don't have time for that today. And so the king not only believed them, he had a whole cadre of magicians and enchanters and diviners and Chaldean specialists in the dream world in interpreting those. And we're going to see that these young guys are going to move into that. Now, what if our abilities are tied to our willingness to follow God and use our influence for him? Where, if you really want to grow in certain areas, it really comes back to God says, I'll help you. I just want to see if you're going to respond and use them for me. What if that's a possibility? And how do we know this is really true? Because if you go through the rest of this book, you'll see it over and over again. They followed him even when their lives were threatened, and he expanded them over and over again. Just read it through yourself sometime. All the famous stories that we have time on this morning. The fiery furnace. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar crawling around on the ground like an animal and the lion's den, on and on. They were all tests. In every case, they came out on the other side when their lives could have been snuffed out because they made a choice in God's direction. And with increased capacity or ability comes something else. Increased opportunity. You want to expand your opportunities? Give God an opportunity in your life. Where do we get that? Look at verse 18 to 20. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Now look at this. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. Where is the king going to go? Are you willing to bank your future opportunities on following what God says? We think it's going to restrict us. What we don't realize, folks, it's going to expand you. And so often we stay stuck in the same thought life and, and same old things because we've only done it part way. And we've all gone part way. Pray for a heart that says, God, help me take the next step, even if I don't understand any of it that you asked me to do. Because our future is dependent upon it. And then the last one is finishing well. Why is that important? Look at this next verse. It just seems to be stuck there. Who cares? Look at this. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Big deal. So what? He's talking about five administrations later. Five kings later is King Cyrus. Daniel outlives five kings, serves in all of their administrations, and gives counsel to all of them. And he's not the head banana. By the way, I've shared this only one-third, we did earlier, of all professions do leaders finish well, no matter what they, no matter the pressure. Ministry, business, doesn't matter what it is. Men and women. And this is saying something. Choices are part of what led, this is why it's there. His whole life has been carried by this choice that's going to keep on choosing his God all the way through. And God keeps using him. God uses, blesses him all the way till the very end. His old age, he's still used. So here's a question. I'm finishing well. What risk of faith is there? What's the greater risk? Serve ourselves or to serve God? Um, I sent this to all the elders and the staff and... Um, I tell you, I, there's a book uh, service, a guy named David Mays that my brother's known for years, does a book review a week on everything from business to missions, you name it, family. And just go to davidmays.com and you'll get it. And this week's was Leadership is Dead. New book came out in 2011, secular book, Jeremy Kubasic. And he writes about why the old style of leadership just isn't working. And the old style, he says, you've got two choices, to either liberate or dominate as a leader. And he talks why domination doesn't work. Will you choose to empower or overpower? Then he says this. 
Leadership is dead because too many leaders have abused their positions, lost their moral compass, abandoned long-term uh, responsibility, and sold out for short-term gains and skyrocketing salaries. And so in the business world, this is what they're discovering. Now listen to this. You don't need massive power or prominent position to lead positive change in an organization or wherever else you operate. You need only influence the most potent and underutilized professional resource on the planet. To be influential requires that we shed the fears and self-preservation instincts that hold us back. Did you catch that? Look out for me. Make sure I got enough. Don't risk anything. Don't lose it. You, know, you get older, just hold on to it. He says, you got to shed that. We have to shed self-preservation instincts. Today's leaders must be willing to sacrifice their own security to inspire others. The greatest strategy for business success and personal fulfillment is not based upon getting all you can. It is centered upon giving all you can. He's not a Christian. Sounds like something Jesus wrote or said, doesn't it? The world's coming to discover what God has held for a long time. He says that's the key to fulfillment and everything else we're looking for. So the question is simply this. What convictions are you living by? My oldest brother's name is Paul. I call him Leroy. And um, I have shared before, he kind of makes a till of the hun look like a Sunday school teacher. He can be really gruff. Underneath it's a big heart. He just got a bark. And... Um, he worked in the bond industry for over 30 years, very successful bond salesman, sold municipal bonds and other things. And I remember him telling me he had clients. One thing about my brother, he's a straight shooter. There's no compromise in these areas when it comes to business. He asked guys to do him deals, which is a little, you know, little here, little there. And maybe some of it was illegal, some of it was just unethical. And he would simply say, I don't do that. And he lost big deals because of it. So they go find somebody else who would do it. And he told me of how many stories, five, seven, one guy 10 years later called him back up and said, hey, uh, Paul, yeah, well, no, are you still now? Yeah, I still do that. He said, well, I wonder if you could help me out. He said, you know, he said, uh, uh, I know you're a straight shooter. And he says, well, he said, I haven't changed. Now they do business with him five, seven years later because they know they can trust him. And they wanted somebody honest that could follow through in business deals. He lost out in the short term. He won in the long term. Too bad our nation can't do that. That's another matter. I won't go there. So what do you do secondly when you and your strengths are tested beyond their capacity? What do we mean by that? We've got to land the plane here real quickly. Well, in chapter 2, there's a story that goes on. By the way, are you ever tested beyond your strengths and your abilities? You ever have challenges at work or at home or finances that are, that are more than your strengths can handle? Of course we do. That's called being human. We all do. And sure enough, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has this dream. And in the dream, it's a very disturbing one. So he calls in all the magicians and all his uh, diviners and, and wise men and, and the Chaldeans. And he says, I've had this dream. It's, it bothers me. And they said, I want you to tell me what it means. They say, great, king, no problem. Just tell us what the dream was. He says, I'm not going to tell you what the dream was. They said, What? He said, no, I'm not going to tell you because you can make up anything. You tell me what the dream is and then give me the interpretation. And so they say, notice this, this is really kind of humorous if you haven't read it. If you go to verse, um, he, says, um, he says, if you don't tell me the dream, he says, I know you're stalling for time because you know I'm serious. If you don't tell me the dream, you're doomed. And uh, so he says, you've conspired to tell me lies, hoping that I'll change my mind, but tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can tell what it means. And he said, but king, no one on earth can tell the king this dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has asked ever such a thing of magicians, enchanters, and astrologers. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. They said, come on, man. There's no way this is going to happen. He says, good. Get off their heads. Kill them all. You know, he was a rational king, kind of calm and collected. Just kill them. Well, the word gets back to Daniel and his three amigos. Because they're part of this group. And Daniel says, hey, tell us. I mean, you're going to kill me, but can you tell me first? And, and Ashpenaz says to him, he says, well, this is the deal. So it says Daniel goes to the king. And Daniel asks for audience. What do you do when you're tested? He goes to the king, and he asks for a little bit of time. 
What we see here is great wisdom. And wisdom, first of all here in verses 14 to 18, is the capacity to slow down to God's speed in crisis and then recruit support along the way. I'll say that again. Wisdom is the ability to slow to God's speed. As we said before, our culture goes by many men, women too, live at 6,000 RPMs. Vroom! Problem is God only speaks at 500 to 600 RPMs. Not going to hear him at our speed. We've got to slow down. And that's why we're often, I don't know about you, but my life is anxious, irritable, indecisive when I don't slow down. And that's not fair to other people, to put our angst on them because we won't slow down to the source of what we need. It's just not fair. Unfortunately, we do it all the time in our families and, and everywhere else. So the king is ticked off, and Daniel says, what's going on? And he slows down, and so then he goes back, and he asks his three buddies, hey, guys, let's pray. Let's pray. Question, when does God have an opportunity to speak to you? I don't mean just in the crises, because if you only go to God in the crises, it's normally too late. God will help you. Because we're going to see Daniel did it all the way along. But in crises, he knew where to go. And God won't go at our busy speed. We must slow down to his if we're going to hear from him and get the insights we need. Second thing we discover is in verse 19. It says, That night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Here's the principle. God's secrets are revealed in solitude. Jesus demonstrated that. You ever been praying over something? And one of my favorite times on earth, always even as a pastor of a pretty busy uh, ministry, even now, is it sometimes getting alone with God, but even at night, you know, crawling into bed and everything's quiet and just having, just staying awake while I'm praying and letting God speak to my heart. Or just taking a day here or there and getting away when you don't have time to get away. And sitting down to listen to him, God begins to speak, and he reveals the whole dream and, uh, to Daniel, not only what it was, but its interpretation. And Daniel is a wise man, number three, he praises God and gives credit for his strength and his success. Because Daniel is called in, Arioch, he goes to Arioch, who's the uh, attendant, and he says, hey, don't kill these wise men, God's told me the dream. And so they, they took Daniel to the king, and they told him, um, I found this young man, one of the captives from Judah, who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king says to Daniel, known as Belteshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And this is Daniel's golden opportunity, just like Joseph we looked at a number of weeks ago. He could have said, I'm pretty good. He says, you know, you could have used me long before. I could have saved you some grief. He doesn't do any of that. In fact, look at what he says in verse 27. Daniel says, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. I'm thinking Nebuchadnezzar said, Well, then what are you doing here? But, verse 28, There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. And he tells him the whole thing. Amazing. He gives God the credit for all of his own strength, all of his own successes, because he cares more about God's reputation than his own future, than his own well-being, his own promotion, and his own success. And then we see finally that in this chapter, after Nebuchadnezzar hears all this, it reveals to us that fulfilling your call increases, strengthens your faith, in crises, strengthens your faith and increases your influence for Christ. Look at the last couple of verses of the chapter. Chapter 2, in verse uh, 46. After Daniel tells him all these things, he talks about the next four empires of the world, which happen exactly the way Daniel said, which is why some uh, critiques of the Bible say this couldn't have happened. This couldn't have happened before he predicted the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, all the way through. This couldn't have happened. Nobody could see four or five hundred years ahead. But he did. He did. And so the king doesn't understand all, but he falls down before Daniel. It says this, the king Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods. The Lord of over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal his secret. And then he appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon as well as chief over all the wise men and his three buddies he gave some great promotions to. So here's the question. 
How are you slowing to hear God's voice on a regular basis? Do you catch the connection of his promotion? Where did it come from? Where did his skills come from? Where did his opportunities come from? Choices to follow God, slowing his life to a pace of being alone with his God, and God is doing these incredible things for him. question is this. How do your tests create opportunities for God's influence? Ever thought about that? Your tests on a daily basis are opportunities for you to influence the world around you for Jesus. We don't have time, but if you go to the next one, the fiery furnace, you'll see that your worship reveals God's greatness. Because they said, we're going to worship the only true living God. We're not going to worship your idol, Nebuchadnezzar. Throw us in the fire. Fine. And God spared them and brought them out. And then what it says is that because he had, he had worshipped God and they had, uh, their lives had been spared, um, Nebuchadnezzar in his typical calm fashion says, hey, we are, everybody in the nation is going to worship the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if not, we're going to tear them to pieces and throw them away. Because he was a rational, calm guy. But the point was they're worshipped impacted kings. The next chapter was another one where it says your courage to speak truthfully about God removes spiritual cataracts. Don't have time to look at that, but read chapter 4 on your own and see how Daniel had to deliver a tough message to the king and God took him through. Then the final one is simply this. Making God your treasure is your most powerful defense for your own life and his greatest advertisement. And this is where Daniel ends up in a lion's den because he refuses to give in and not worship his God. He worships his God and even though it's going to cost him his life. Because God is his treasure, his position, his prominence, all that he has is not his ultimate treasure. And that's where this incredible life, and then he becomes, once again, to another administration, another king, God's advertisement. So here's the question, we close with this. Who and how do you want your life to influence for Christ? Who do you want God to impact through you? We're moving to the Christmas season. Would you think of a name or two of those you want to invite to Christmas Cafe or Christmas Eve or to part of our, or into your home? Someone you want to reach out to. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you this morning for the model of a young man and his buddies who still amaze me. <laughs> Just amazing how they chose you when they didn't realize the full implications and how they instruct us today. And just a couple questions with your heads bowed. This morning, what convictions are you living by? They're going to be tested. You'll be tempted to, be, to compromise in some area. Morally, ethically. It's just there. That's the culture we live in. Well, today you make the choice to say, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but I, I want to live for you. Help me take a stand for you right where I am. Secondly, how are you slowing to hear God's voice on a regular basis? What's your plan this week to be alone with Him? Doesn't matter how busy you are. Carve some time out and watch what happens. Just to listen to Him, to open the Scriptures, to talk to Him, to intercede for others, to let Him speak to you. And then finally, who and how do you want to influence your life for Christ? Pray for the names of two people that God puts on your heart right now for this Christmas season. You never know. You might invite them and they might come to something here. If not, invite them to your home. Ask for ways to serve them. Tell God you want to be used by Him. And then let me say this. Some of this will not make sense unless you've opened your life to the one who made you, who loves you more than anyone else. Our maker, our creator is Jesus Christ. And you know, he won't force himself, himself on you, but he waits for an opportunity for you to open the door and invite him in. Say, God, I've run my own life long enough. And Jesus, I invite you to come in. I don't understand all that it means any more than these young men when they made their choice knew what it would mean. 
but I want you in my life. I want you to forgive me, and I want to have assurance that one day I'll live with you forever. If that expresses the desire of your heart, then just tell God that. He knows to say, Jesus, I choose you today. I want to follow you. Lead me in the direction I need to go. Father, thank you for being so gracious to lead us. Forgive us for insisting on doing things our own way and then wondering why the opportunities close, the insights do not come, there's increased frustration. Help us to recognize that what everybody else is doing around us isn't going to help. In fact, they need your mercy. They need someone who lives around them who does take a stand, who cares enough for them that they'll say, I want to do what God wants because I also know it's best for you. Give us a heart like that. Thank you, Father, you sent your Son who's more than worthy to be followed. Give us hearts through the power of your Spirit to act upon what we've just sung. Father, I pray you'll bless your people this week as we go. And then make us a powerful, enriching blessing to the people around us. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Talk to three people you've never met on the way out and have a great day.